Well, good morning. It is such a privilege to be here. As uh, the middle school youth director, I, I have my middle school Sunday school during uh, 9.30 service, so I rarely get to be here. So um, it is just uh, such a privilege to be here this morning to preach. I don't know if you've ever seen um, one of these scenes where um, a paleontologist is at a uh, dig site, and uh, maybe you've seen on National Geographic or on a documentary, but they make a discovery where they're, um, you know, digging, and all of a sudden they come to uh, a fossil, and the whole mood of the camp changes. As the excitement grows and people start digging and excavating and finding pieces and pieces and pieces, and finally they're able to put together an amazing picture of whatever is discovered. I feel like as I was preparing this message and looking at our text this morning, uh, it felt like that, that as I looked at the layers of depth of truth, um, it created an amazing picture, and I'm excited to share that with you this morning. Our text is Mark uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Let me read that for you now. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man's son, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. And they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Have you ever had to completely rely on somebody else? This, these bell tables make it kind of tricky to walk up here. <laughs> Have you ever had to completely rely on somebody else? I, I can say I've never um, been paralyzed, but for an afternoon, I got to experience what it was like to completely depend on other people. It was uh, my junior year in high school, and I was at the state tennis uh, tournament. And it was one of those grueling Kansas days, and I played two long matches, and I had one more left. And I made a big mistake when I got off the court on the second match. Instead of 
walking around, maybe stretching or drinking some fluids, I simply sat down in a shaded spot and rested for about 15 minutes. When I go to get up to start preparing for my next match, I realize something is not right because my quad in my left uh, leg cramps up and immediately my leg sticks out. And I'm like, this is not good. And uh, I don't know if you've ever had a Charlie horse or a cramp, but this was like no cramp I had ever seen because as I go to tend to this leg, my other leg cramps up and uh, I'm, I'm screaming out in pain. And as I'm screaming out in my pain, my abs start to cramp up. It's like first time I ever had a six pack, okay? Um, I stand up, my, 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 my hands literally cramp up on themselves. Every muscle in my body begins to cramp and my body just begins to fail me. I had been so dehydrated through playing those matches and then resting in that cool that I totally lost control of all parts of my body. I scream out, my, my dad runs over, he's trying to massage the muscles in my legs and I'm just screaming out in agony. My, parent, or my brothers are there trying to be supportive saying, Mike, everyone's looking, all right? <laughs> and it was the worst pain I had ever experienced. Finally, um, I ended up having to forfeit my last match of that day because I could not walk. My dad had to bend down and literally lift me up and, and drop me in the back of the van and drive me home. I'm, I'm embarrassed to say that at this point I'd been chugging a bunch of fluids. I had to go to the bathroom within five minutes and I literally had to have my dad help me go to the bathroom. I was completely vulnerable and dependent on my family for the rest of that evening. Can you imagine what it's like? That was one day, but for this man, whose entire life is on a three foot by six foot mat. For his entire life, he is dependent on the help of others of his friends and family. What would it be like to be this man's friend? To every day be helping him, to be carrying him, to for any sort of food or sustenance or, 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 or even just for money, for all aspects of living. You know, we've made accommodations. We've, we've grown in our ability to help those with disabilities now. Could you imagine what it would be like in the ancient world to be paralyzed. It makes you appreciate just how great of friends this man had because they take him, they carry him, they hear about the healer that is in town, they bring him to the home, but they run into a problem. There is a huge crowd, in fact, such a big crowd that they can't even get through the door. So they choose to go up on the roof. They, they carve out uh, a space on the roof and lower this man down because they will stop at nothing to get their friend to Jesus. What amazing friends. But I want to stop on, on, on one point quickly, and that is this idea of crowds. Because Mark talks a lot about crowds in his Gospels. In fact, you know the thing that crowds are most famous for in Mark's Gospel? It's getting in the way. You can see story after story of these crowds following Jesus and people trying to get to him, but not being 
able to or having to fight through the crowd. When I think of crowds, I think of um, when I was growing up, I would watch my dad run marathons. And uh, specifically the Chicago Marathon. And I don't know if you're familiar, but the Chicago Marathon is one of the largest marathons. There are thousands of people there. And watching a marathon, supporting someone at a marathon is, is a very interesting process. Because let me, let me try to demonstrate this for you. You're at, a, uh, you're at this race and you have a map. And what you have to do is determine the times in which you will see this person amidst all the, the crowd. So you say, okay, at mile marker four, um, he should be here if he's running this pace. We hopefully can see them. So you, you find your spot, you try to get up to the front, and you wait, and you watch. And then soon, oh, There he is, there he is, all right. Yes, you can do it, keep running, you got this. All right, where do we go next, right? It's like these brief moments where you can support them and half the time you're just wandering around trying to see if you can find them next. It reminds me of a time I was supporting my brother at a uh, a marathon. He was running with three friends and this process was going on and you get these glimpses and finally at the end of the race, I was like, I've had enough of this. I am going to, I came here to support my friends, my brother, and I'm going to make sure they feel it. And so at, at near the end of the race, about mile marker 18, I kind of fight through the crowd and then I jump over the barrier between spectator and runner. And this is a picture of me chest bumping, uh, the uh, yeah, chest bumping Zach, my friend, all right, to say, you know what, I'm done with this. I'm going to show you my support and my brother and his friend are watching in the background. Who is the friend that would fight through a crowd, that would jump over a fence, that would break through a roof to get to you? You could say perhaps that the goal of Christian friendship, of any friendship, is to bring someone closer to Jesus. And who are those friends for you? And are you that friend for somebody else? Who are you bringing to Jesus? The scene begins to shift once the men lay the paralytic down. We we move to Jesus' reaction and the response of the Pharisees. You see, It says that when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. And I don't know about you, but if I was the paralytic, I'd kind of be like, what? That's it? Right? I mean, this man had one goal on his mind that he would be healed. And I feel like this announcement may be a bit shocking. But what we're going to see is that the magnitude of Jesus' words are far more profound than we first realize. You see, when Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven, the Pharisees are there, the teachers of the law, and and they start thinking that they've got this guy, Jesus, right where they want him. Right, because to forgive somebody's sins could only be done by God alone. And so they're saying to themselves, this is blasphemy. And to give them credit, they're right. The law says that only God can forgive sin. 
But what they're wrong about is who Jesus was. You see, what Jesus is claiming, he goes on to say, I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. This story is an amazing display of both the humanity and the divinity of Jesus. Jesus isn't just a miracle worker or a great prophet or a great teacher. He is the Son of God. He is God incarnate. And then that brings us to the question. And I read a lot of articles and books and, and, and you know, commentaries about the question, right? The question, which is, which is easier? Which is easier, to say to this man, son, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take up your mat, and walk? Which is easier? What is Jesus meaning when he asks this question. I can see there's a lot of layers to this. The most obvious implication is that Jesus is making a, a common argument, which would be an a fortiori argument, which is a, a Latin word meaning from the stronger. Basically, Jesus is saying, uh, is trying to prove a, a, a lesser point by appealing to um, an already proven greater point. It'd be if, if I, like, for example, if I said... Um, this person can afford to buy something worth $100, then you could infer that they also could uh, afford to purchase something worth $10. And so the idea is Jesus is, is saying, in the eyes of the crowd, to heal a paralyzed man is the far greater work than to forgive the man. And so by uh, healing the man, he's then proving that he can forgive him. But if we keep digging, there, there's also another way you could understand this question. Which is easier? Tim Keller um, makes a statement about this moment in Jesus' ministry and says this, at this point, the shadow of the cross falls across Jesus' path. You see, what Jesus is saying when he's saying which is easier is that you have no idea just how hard it's going to be to say, sons, son, your sins are forgiven. In fact, any miracle worker could say, get up, take your mat and walk, but only the savior of the world could say, son, your sins are forgiven. You have no idea how hard it's going to be. The cup I have to drink. Which is easier? But if we keep digging, there's even another uh, way we can understand this. And this, uh, for us to understand this, we have to zoom out just a little bit and get some um, cultural implications here. Because to, to look at this man, uh, what we have to understand is... Uh, Paralyzation and disease of this time not only had physical consequences, but societal consequences as well. In fact, uh, the Greeks, the, the primary people uh, of this time, would kill babies that had a disability. And the Hebrews, the Jewish people, they had a way of seeing uh, disease and disability in which they would say that that is because that person is being punished for something. 
That, that there is a link to disease and disability and sin, that perhaps it was their father or mother or part of uh, their family line in which this person is being punished. So for this man, not only is he paralyzed, but he would have been told his whole life, you should be dead and you should be ashamed. And that makes Jesus' words all the more powerful. But you see, in this time, there was a, uh, you, could, you could call it a two-step healing process. When, when somebody's uh, disease or, or, or something was healed, all right, when, when they would, uh, their symptoms would be alleviated, you could say that was step one. They are cured of their disease, right? Someone had leprosy and the leprosy is gone, okay? That is step one. They're cured. But there's another step to it in this culture. The second step was the high priest uh, would go and would examine you and then declare you clean to the community and reintroduce you as a loved member of the town. You could say that that second step would be you are healed. You'd be cured of your symptoms, but then your personhood would be healed within the community. You can see this in other places in Mark's gospel. Last week, uh, as, as Ben Mar- Marquez gave the uh, sermon about the, the, the leper, all right, he, he, Jesus does step one, cures him, but then he says, go to the high priest and be examined so that you can be declared clean. In Mark 5, there's a story of the, the little uh, uh, Jesus walking to heal this little girl. And on the way, there is this uh, woman who had been um, bleeding for 12 years. And she fights through the crowd. Okay, we have the crowd getting in the way again. Fights through the crowd and touches Jesus' cloak. And what happens? The bleeding stops. She's cured. But Jesus doesn't just leave it at that. He doesn't just leave it as a secret between her and him. He does what? He stops the crowd. He says, who touched me? Finally, she comes forward. And what does he say? He declares to her and to the community, daughter, your faith has healed you. He restores her humanity. He's declaring to the crowd, you are now clean and can be embraced as a loved member of this society. I wonder, how many times do we seek and want a cure for our condition when really what's needed is to go deeper and that is to be healed, to be forgiven for our sin, to be given a new identity in the family of God. Which is easier? My favorite word in this whole passage is in verse five. The one that as I was preparing and the one that resounded most deeply in my own soul was simply the word son. Right, because you can imagine the identity of this paralyzed man. He was not known as a human being. He was simply known as the paralytic. His whole identity was tied up in his disability, in, his, in this characteristic. 
It, it reminds me, we, we have an emphasis in today's day and age to uh, use people-first language. For example, if someone has um, autism, we don't say an autistic person. It is more honoring to say a person with autism because you're establishing their personhood first, or perhaps even to just call them by name. Jesus, in this story, is honoring this man. Instead of referring to him simply as the paralytic, he is saying, son, he's saying, you are part of the family of God now. In the same way he does in Mark 5, daughter, you are brought in to the family. You have a new identity as a son or daughter of the king. Perhaps the good news for us this morning is remembering that we have a new name, we have a new identity, that we are not defined by characteristics, we are not defined by a divorce or by a failure or by um, a, our depression or anxiety or a disability or a defect, but that in God's eyes we are seen as a loved son or daughter. How often do we as Christians reduce the identity of others to a characteristic? Do we reduce the identity of others to a political affiliation or um, a denominational preference or a skin color rather than seeing others as people made in the image of God? Reminds me of a story of... uh, Jean Vanier, who uh, is the founder of L'Arche Community, which was a community, is a community for people with intellectual disabilities. And this community, um, there was a man named Peter, and, and Vanier remembers this story where he goes up to this man named Peter, and he says, Peter, do you pray? And Peter um, says, yes, I pray. Vanier says, what do you pray? Peter says, I listen. And Vanier says, well, what do you hear? And Peter, a a man with Down syndrome, says, I hear God say over and over, you are my beloved son. Too often we reduce the identity of others and ourselves to a characteristic or a mistake Perhaps the good news for us this morning is a God who does not define us by our mistakes, but actually cures and heals us and brings us into a restored identity, a restored relationship with him. This whole story uh, reminded me of a scene that unfolded a few years ago, and uh, it was at a Michael Buble concert. I know that's what you were expecting me to say. Um, at, this, uh, at this concert, there's this mom who has the audacity to fight her way through the crowd, lean up against the barrier of, of this, this concert where there are thousands of people, and stops Michael Buble as he's performing. And as he, he stops him, uh, she says to him, I have a son who I want to sing with you. Right? And this amazing scene unfolds. Take a look at what happens next.
Ja. Ja. Really. Her son turned 15 a couple days ago. That's very sweet. He's hiding. He's hiding. And you, 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 you turn 15 and, and you want to sing. But you're asking me. Are you telling me or are you asking me? I know you're a mom. I'm a singer. I show up and do this. You know what? Because, you know what? Because we've taken it this far already. Are you, yeah, come up here for a moment. Come up here for a moment because I remember being your age. Okay, come up, bring up, bring him up over the bar here. Sit right here. What's your name? Sam. Sam, it's nice to see you, man. How are you? All right, Alan, starting a feeling good for me and Sam. You ready? Birds flying high, you know how I feel. Sun in the sky. It's okay. Come here in front of these things. Come here in front of these things. Birds flying high. You know how I feel. Sun in the sky. You know how I feel. Breeze drifting on by. You know how I feel. It's a new dawn, it's a new day, it's a new life for me. And I'm feeling good. Ladies and gentlemen, 15-year-old killer, killer. Isn't that amazing? Did you see the confidence? when it was revealed who he truly was, the singer? Could it be said that the kingdom of heaven is like a mom who fights her way through a crowd to stop a Michael Buble concert so that her awkward, clumsy teenager could be revealed for who he truly is, a singer? You know, as I was digging through this Passage, and I kept uncovering layer after layer after layer. What the picture I was left with is that this is a story of the gospel. That our God loves us so much, even though we've rebelled against Him, that He sent His Son. Jesus to this earth to rescue us from our broken and paralyzed state, to restore our relationship between us and God and us and each other so that we can have forgiveness for our sins and a promise of eternal life in him so that we can be given a new identity as a son or a daughter of the one true king. And once we have that, 
we then enter into his mission. And we become a people of roof crashers and of, of, of people who jump over fences and fight through crowds and do whatever it takes to bring people to Jesus so that they too can taste and see that the Lord is good so that they can be called into his family. Who are you bringing to Jesus? Who are you bringing to Jesus? Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that through the work of the cross, we can be forgiven for our sin, that we can be healed, and we can be given a new identity as a son or as a daughter in your family. And I pray for those in this room who perhaps have given themselves a different identity than the one you give them, that this morning they'd be reminded of who they truly are. And Lord, also that we would be a church of mat carriers and roof crashers, that we would stop at nothing to bring our friends, our family, our neighbors to you. For your glory, amen.